0: Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication.
1: Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed Inspiration to Publication, Episode 39, Cheer Up. Today, we are joined by Chris Rio, the designer as well as the founder of Cheer Up and also the designer of Swear Hey,
0: how's it going? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that we met up uh, at a convention, which is always one of the best ways to meet designers and publishers.
0: Yes, it is. uh, It's kind of our bread and butter. We love going to events. We love going to conventions. uh, And we met at PAX East, which is our hometown throwdown uh, because we're local to Boston. So we always have a ton of fun. And actually, that one we just did a few weeks ago was our best event ever ever in history. Um, and we had our number one, number two sales days ever. Uh, so it was really, really fun to kind of come back after a two-year absence.
1: That's so great to hear because that was actually my first one I've ever been to. Like I've been to Pax and Blood, oh, wow. but I've never been to East. And I know it was stereotypically a video game convention, but it yeah. definitely seems like board games have grown and grown and grown every year because... I personally have been trying to get one of the organizations I work for, uh, Tabletop Gamers, to have a representation there because they're like, oh, there's not that many board games. I'm like, there actually, there's quite a few now.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because I've been going there for a decade at this point, even beyond like exhibiting there. We've exhibited three times um, the last three that they had, but I've been going like years and years before that because I actually am a pretty big video gamer, or at least uh, was in my past, a little bit less now, but. Um, but I I just love the kind of you know the the carnival lights and just like being around people and, and being able to see some new stuff. Um, I will say that it's leaned much more tabletop-y in the last you know even couple of years and definitely since we've been exhibiting. Um, there's a lot more indie publishers out there. I mean tabletop is just a lot you know as a complete indie it's a lot cheaper to get started uh, versus you know starting a game a video game studio um and i know from the inside that pax itself is it, you know they they had pax unplugged because uh the tabletop part of it was so popular and so they built a convention around that completely uh, but i know internally they're just like trying to push tabletop content and really that that's like a big focus um because you know that's kind of a, a lot of where some of the industry is moving a little bit not to like generalize, but I think there is this, this um, yearning for this face-to-face and social interaction, Um, uh, especially from like certain, certain like my generation and just, you know, people who grew up kind of behind the screen. Um, I think we, we really want that social activity back and board games are just such an easy, uh, like way to get, to get there. Um, so, yeah. yeah, they're really pushing that a lot. And there's a lot of indie publishers on that row where I was. Um, all of them are great. And uh, it's it's really the tabletop section has really grown.
1: I love that so much. So then how did you initially get into the gaming industry? I,
0: yeah, great segue. Um, <laughs> so uh, like a I said, drag. I'm a gamer. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm a gamer myself. Um, I love kind of like party casual games. and I know that's, you know, something that's, it's a little tricky because some people that are like more hardcore, It's kind of like a, you know, a gateway or like people kind of look down on stuff like that. Um, but it just was because of uh, like my typical gaming groups were just like friends and family and people that really aren't like, hardcore gamers and stuff. Um, so for me, that that niche of games really just came naturally. And I always, like, sought out new ones. And um, like I said, like, you know, I grew up behind a screen. And just especially as I grew older, I just really want that connection. And, um, you know, these, these types of games are really like designed to get you out of your shell and connect with people and laugh. And I just love comedy and humor and laughing. Um, So anyway, so I I played a lot of my own, but, you know, especially at the time when I came up with this game, which was like five or six years ago, um, there really was just um, a lot of uh, like, kind of, you know, I mean, it's spurred on by the popularity of cards against humanity, but a lot of those types of games really were just like black card, white card, and kind of just, you know, uh, like, here's the joke, here's what it is. And, you know, you just say this word and it's funny. I think it was just because, you know, we grew up with like Candyland and, and trouble and Scrabble. And to us like seeing swear words and sex jokes on like a, game you can buy a target was just like kind of a funny thrill i guess um and i understand why that became popular but there's a lot of copycats and there's a lot of kind of sameness in the industry so there were you know the, the party game industry just has a lot of potential and i just didn't see a game that i could play over and over and over again with the same people um and have it still be fun um so basically i took my own I wrote my own version of that game just to like practice designing things Um, and then I came up with this little twist where each round you'd have to do like a fun funny rule so you might have to like talk in an accent or um, you know get to add new words to your cards or you know charade your answers or something like that Um, and that little thing kind of spun off into its own like I started writing my own cards my own game completely at this point it didn't really quite have a structure or a name um and actually the funny thing is cheer up originally was actually more of like a really answer the question kind of game so it would be like you know what what smells the worst and you had to actually like create a real answer and it wasn't necessarily supposed to be yeah. funny but like it was just kind of like weird like i remember play testing and i was like this is too like sterile kind of so, uh, sure. so, uh, we, we kind of spun that off into its own thing. I was like playing with friends and there was just a moment where we just like played it and I we was just like, I think this actually like is kind of its own thing. Like I never really was like, I'm going to create a game and sell it and make it and publish it. Like it really was just like, I think I actually accidentally kind of invented something. And I mean, it's not, it's not, I'm not going to pretend it's like a thousand percent innovative, but I think the innovation was, Um, creating a structure and a skeleton that was really trying to get the people playing themselves to really like make the fun out of it. So the cards themselves are like funny and there's funny words in there, but it really is about like you yourself taking the script structure and making your own answers and like creating your own rules to the game. So the tagline of the game is actually you make the jokes, you make the rules because unlike other party games uh it's much more repeatable because you're actually like creating some of that interaction um yourself so that kind of spun out of into its own thing and then the name cheer up came from um the name and design so my mascot is my actual dog nico um and that came from just i took a picture of him that uh looked like the logo with his tongue out and uh i was like I feel like this could be like a logo or a mascot or something like that. And I just had an artist make it. And the second I saw it, I was like, yes, like this is exactly the feel I'm going with. This is the tone I'm going for. It's not supposed to be this like dark and brooding, like, you know game it's really supposed to be fun even though there is adult content in it so i made the branding completely the opposite so every game on the shelf is black and white and red so i kind of made it purposefully this like pastel baby blue with like this cute little dog on it and all these kind of like funny party elements um because i wanted to stand out a little bit on the shelf and you know it it catches you off guard at events like you probably came up to the bo- booth and were like you know what is this this looks like kind of silly but like maybe a kid's thing and then you kind of play it and it it gives you that like catch you off guard moment where you're just like oh you know what I mean Um, oh yeah
1: no my friend was like oh it's a cute dog (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah all right
1: let's check it out
0: (laughs) yep it all that is like one of the funniest things where like we get people to come over because of the mascot and they sit and then it's just like oh it's this and honestly like you think people would be like oh this isn't what I wanted but it actually creates like that kind of like that joyful moment of, Oh, like I didn't realize we were going to go down this road. This is even more like sillier than I thought, you know? Um, so that's kind of like the branding of it. And then the name cheer up came from, um, I just kind of need a name and, you know, it, it seems kind of generic, but it was really because, um, My one of my uh, relatives was actually going through a bad breakup at the time, so I we used to play like party games with them all the time and we would like it would be kind of like a little you know weekend thing we'd do um and the game name just came from oh i just we want to like cheer her up or something so that actually became the name of the game with the branding and then we put all that together and it really did kind of create its own product and its own and now it's like very different than how it started but it really did create this uh really unique game and packaging that i think did set itself uh, differently from, like, the other games are on the shelf.
1: That's so awesome. So for anyone who hasn't played the game, would you mind explaining how it yeah. gets played?
0: Really quick. So um, do you get uh, – there's five different decks in the game. Um, it's, you, you'll fit right in and, and pick it up quickly if you've played other games, like judging mechanic games. But the, I do want to stress that there is a couple different elements. Um, so there's uh, questions and, and three ABC cards that are all different parts of speech. The question itself is going to tell players like what parts of speech you need for the question. So it'll be like, what smells the worst? And you need an A and a B card, which is actually an adjective and a noun. You don't need to know that when you play the game, but that's just part of the design. Um, so they they draw a bunch of cards, and then you read the question. So it might be like, what smells the worst? The dealer reads the question, um, and the players use the options they have in their hand to pick, a. you know, you get basically a couple of different cards of each type and you write the answer yourself using those parts of speech. So there are funny words in the game. It's obviously a word game, uh, but you actually have a lot of agency to come up with the actual answer that you're creating. Another twist of this game is you yourself are performing the answer. So you don't turn cards into the dealer or anything like that. It's really like you yourself have to make it for to say it and to the dealer who's going to judge you. Uh, once everybody's locked into their answer, the biggest twist of the game is the rule cards that I described. So you draw a rule, the dealer draws a rule, and you really have no idea what's going to happen. You could talk like a pirate. You could get to add like a funny sitcom phrase to the end of your answer. You might have to sneakily add a word to your answer. Um, You might have to like charade your answer. You might have to like, um, you know, there's all kinds of like silly things that you have to do. Um, And again, you don't know what's coming until it actually gets drawn. And most of the things are like the players have to, perform some extra thing while they're giving their answer there's a couple of mechanical ones that are like you know swap answers with a friend or you get to change your answer uh, but most of them are like oh you have to perform it this way and it really like it, they're not like scary they're not like over the top crazy but they really just are like these little silly little things that get people out of their shell and and they're great icebreakers. Um, and maybe the very first time the people will be like i don't want to talk like a pirate and then they do it and instantly like you break the ice with somebody and it's really, really silly. It doesn't have to be like good at all. And that's kind of the funny part is like, it's people suck at whatever it is. Um, and so you get that little rule twist. And so you're still answering the question using your cards. Like you're actually answering the question, but you're doing it in the silly way. And then the dealer just judges and decides who wins. They get the question card as a point. And then the other innovation of the game is that, um, There's no hands. So all the cards that you used and all the ones you discarded that you didn't use get just thrown into a discard pile. And the new dealer draws a new question, which might have different required cards. So you do not have a hand of cards that you keep throughout the game. You don't like hold on to cards that like, ah, I'm never going to use this one. It's not funny or, you know, oh, I'm saving this one for the best. It's always you use it or lose it every time. And that really forces people to create just the funniest possible answer without feeling like there's. Like in other party games like that, you might have like a light strategy element of like, oh, I'm saving this card. Like you really have to make your best answer right away. And that's that basically forces every hand to be as funny as possible.
1: I like that. I feel like when I used to play games like a Cards Against Humanity, I would hold on to a card knowing that yep. that was going to be really good for a specific player because they had a comes a sense of humor. <laughs>
0: yeah, yep. exactly. Or you're holding like the the you know the big card that everybody laughs at, and it's just like you never find that moment, or you waste it by accident. Like I would always see kind of those like little flaws in those games, and try to when I made my own actually plug those holes and make it like this is going to fix that problem. So it feels familiar to game. If you've played games like that, you can jump right in. You can learn in like literally 15 seconds. Um, But at the same time, we get a lot of feedback that like, I love the rule twist. Oh, I love that. There's no hands. I love because that really is like the like little innovations that it seems small, but it actually makes the game way more replayable. I mean, I've played it more than anybody on the face of the earth. Um, and I still bring it out to events and I'm there on the ground playing with people because it's just that funny every time. And it's not its not going to repeat answers because you uh, make your own. So, like, yeah, you might see the same cards come up occasionally, but the context of it, the rule, the question, all that's going to be so different that it, the, the word itself is going to mean something completely different. So it is ins- essentially infinitely replayable. And that really is... Um, I I feel like a lot of games say they are, but I really feel like this actually is.
1: And how did you come up with like the formula of the ABC backings and putting that on the front?
0: That's a great question, too, because that's actually kind of a funny story. So originally, like I said, the first version of this game was much more like literal and kind of direct. And it was I actually called the cards like descriptions, things and actions, because that's basically what they are. They're, They're adjectives, nouns and ing verbs. So that Grammatically, the cards will always make sense. Um, we talked offline about like randomly drawing cards and how I use that as a little test. Um, if you randomly draw cards in this game, it's usually, it will always make grammatical sense, A, but it will usually also be kind of funny. Um, so that, like, I, I brought this to a playtest group when it was like, it, it, instead of ABC, it literally said DTA in the back. Um, and I remember playing and we had a good time, but like one of the people brought up that they were like, I just don't understand like the DTA part of it. Like, I know what they mean, but like, why do you have to tell people that they are those things? Because to me, I'm like thinking logically, I'm like, Oh, I want people to know it's like, this is what it is. And he was literally like, I mean, you could just call them like ABC. Why does it even matter what they are? And like a light bulb went off in my head, like, Oh, we don't. I don't need to tell you that these are adjectives, nouns, and verbs. Like you'll figure it out as you play. And in fact, if you don't figure it out, it doesn't even matter. And it's more important to me to make sure players understand like the order of the cards and like, you know, go even the ABC part of it actually fit in kind of to the childish, like look to the packaging. So really it just created this like light bulb moment of, oh, this should be A, B, and C. And that way A... You'll never screw up the order because everybody will know it always goes in ABC order. I don't have to be like, no, the T goes before the A and the D and the right. Um, and yeah. then it just created much more like synergy with the box art and with the design. And when I play test it now, it's like, I mean, everybody knows the ABCs. You're tapping into something somebody already knows. You don't have to explain A comes before B and B comes before C. It's so much easier to demo it. Um, that was a huge like light bulb moment that completely added a. Uh, something that I think made the game actually a lot better. Um, So yeah, it started off, again, just like really literal. I was giving people too much information. And sometimes you just have to like, you know, you can hide some things in the design of the game where you don't have to over-explain things. uh, Because players will, you can trust players to kind of like figure it out over time. And if they don't, it doesn't actually affect the gameplay itself. They don't need to know that. And that was like a big uh, realization for me.
1: That's so cool. And then how did you work to generate your list of like adjective nouns and verbs? Oh, man.
0: (laughs) Um, So I it's basically I just keep a big Google sheet. um, And even working on expansions and stuff like I use the same sheet so I can track and make sure that like I don't do any duplicate words. Um, But a lot of it is just like, sitting down during times i feel silly or i'll keep a little notepad in my phone where if i hear a word on tv or something i'm just like oh that'd be such a perfect like adjective to add to the game um i'll throw it in the spreadsheet i would say the word list was about 20 percent longer than it ended up being which you want it to be more than you need because then you can cut things you know we take out words that were like too specific or like didn't you know again like i said the randomly drawing cards thing is a great way to play test solo so obviously with party games and especially over the last few years it's been really hard to like get big groups together to play um so i would spend some time just like i'll throw a word in the deck and like randomly draw questions to see if it would be funny if it came up right um that's a lot of how we play test so you can imagine times you know 300 answer cards and 100 or 50 questions um You know, that's that's a lot of kind of just like flipping through the decks and just seeing what what works and what doesn't. And then naturally, as you play test, you'll find words come up or you'll find that players like don't use a card like over hundreds of events. You find out like, oh, you know, what? I've never heard somebody use this card. And you just kind of think like, are they really not really finding a place for it? It's not really working. And maybe you'll take it out. You'll add something in that's funny. Um, We did a second edition of the game where we actually did. Um, re a bunch of the cards um, for a couple reasons. A, uh, the, the first version was a Kickstarter exclusive, so we had backer-suggested words that I had to replace. Um, and B, we actually did change the tone of the game very, very slightly. There were some darker cards in there um, that You know, at the time we're like, oh, this is like edgy, but I kind of ended up moving away from that and more into just being silly. Um, So for the second edition, we removed a couple of cards and even moved a couple of cards that were in the base game into uh, what I call the Not Safer Grandma pack, which is included in the game. Uh, And it's basically the, you know, R rated cards that are in the box. Um, So we kind of, I know humor and what people's humor is, is like a totally fine line that's really hard to gauge in the moment, but. That's something that changes year to year even uh, in society. So we really have to just ride that wave. And even the next edition of the game, which will probably come out, you know, uh, at the pace we're at probably sometime like late next year, I would say. um, We'll definitely make some changes to the words, maybe add a few different ones. And again, just like clean up some that just we don't want in the game anymore.
1: I think that's cool that it's like growing with you and through the ages and stuff. That's pretty awesome. And was it always intended to be an adult party game? So that, I would say yes.
0: Um, again, like, the very original version was a little bit more serious and what didn't have that, like, humor built in. But once we once we kind of had that structure and it was going to be like, oh, this is going to be, like, we want this to be competing with those types of games and the funny part is the funny part. That's what we want to keep. Um, it it did it, – it was intended to be that. Um, however, like, I mean, it's just funny because, you know, when I – grew up like i remember you know it was like don't say those words don't say those words and like one of the biggest misconceptions that i've seen doing this at events is you know having a bunch of kids run up to the booth with their parents and then be like oh, this is like a, a big kids game. Like, And then parents will just be like, yeah, I don't care. We say those words all the time. Like, <laughs> And we'll dive into the game playing with like 12-year-old kids. And it'll be like so awkward, but they'll be like playing along and the parents will be laughing. And I'm like – and that happens like way, way more than you think. I would say 80% of the time, you know, occasionally we'll tell people like this has adult language in it and they'll be like, okay, you know. But like 75 to 80% of the time, the parents will be like, yeah, I don't care and they'll they play cards against humanity with their you know 10 11 12 years old 12 year olds and it's just like okay we're going down this road uh and it'll be hilarious and they'll like play it and want it and and that was just like a huge misconception to me where i just you know growing up much more like oh you can't watch these movies you can't say these words and it's just things are just different i think because of the internet and just you know in in pop culture in general there's just a lot more of that like language around you um so it's really inescapable i mean parents that like I'm a parent, so you know it slips out all the time, and you really just can't help it. It's just part of my vocabulary, vocabulary saying like some of these words, right? Um, so it was yeah. always meant to be like an adult party game, uh, but that that like it's it's so just like balancing that humor of like okay, what does society? kind of what do we collectively agree is like okay to joke about you know we want to punch up most of the time and not punch down we're not making fun of people or types of people we're really just like saying silly words and like creating silly interactions that's really more of the goal than like oh i want to make fun of this group of people um so that's kind of like another thing that's different than other other games we're not just trying to be shocking for the the sake of it it's really trying to actually create funny silly memorable inside jokes and moments um But but yeah, that's why I included the dirty pack in the game, because at the end of the day, it's just really funny to say dirty words and to, you know, to have kind of the branding be the silly, you know, dog and the silly packaging with those in the box. I think that actually does create a little bit of um, this purposeful, like discrepancy where you don't expect it. And when people break it out at, at parties and groups, I think that's part of the sale that they do to to friends to try and get them to play because it's just like it's not expected, you know.
1: For sure. And how did you go about playtesting this game? Did you have like your friends and family play it? Did you go to like a design
0: group? So one, one of the things I love about making party games is that for me, um, it's a lot easier to get to that, like, that phase, like I really have the confidence a lot of times when I come up with a new game to just get it right to prototype. Like I know a lot of, like if you're making really heavy games, you will, you know, sit there with pens and papers and, and, uh, you know, look at spreadsheets and like kind of count things and do math and all this stuff. Like the great thing about party games, and especially word games, which is typically what I make right now um, is that you, basically will know if it will work or not you can quickly get it to pen and paper and to the prototype stage i like to even get it beyond that to like a, a a fairly nice looking prototype first um And bring it to people who are, I always start with like friends, family, but even just like non-gamer type of friends, um, because that really is the audience. I'm not trying to convince people who play Gloomhaven every week to buy this game. It's about like, you know, our target audience is couples and like small friend groups and college kids and like, you know, even older, older people that are just like empty nesters. Surprisingly, was like a big, you know, that they have friends over for wine and cheese every weekend. Like that was surprisingly a big, a big demographic. So, it's really easy for me to kind of get to that stage quickly and be like, let's throw this on the table. Let's just see if this works. And I would say, like, almost 100% of the time, there's some element of it that's like, there's definitely something here. But sometimes you'll just throw it down and just be like, yes. Like, if this was a game right now, I would we would sell this. Like, absolutely. That was, that was actually the case with our second game swearments. Um, it's a much simpler little game that comes on a tin. And uh, when I threw that on the table, I had designed it almost fully for my friend group that I play and work with um, at events. And immediately you could just tell that this was going to be like a hit. Um, just, and, and a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, you don't want to play tests with people who know you too well, because they're not going to be honest. Like, that's true. That is definitely true. You do want to bring things to strangers, but you can tell right away if it's like genuine reaction or not, or people are just like, Oh, yeah, it's, it's good. Good job. Like, there's a huge feel difference in those two emotions. And we definitely could feel it. And then we then then after that, I usually bring things to a convention or two before I actually release it, because I do want to play with strangers and get their feedback. And and a lot of it isn't like, A lot of it isn't like, okay, so we're going to do a survey, like, you know, tell me what you liked about this. What about, it's really just like, I can tell in the moment I'm playing with somebody if something's working or not. And it's just the, the, the party game genre is all about like the feel of the social interaction. So if something's off, you can totally tell. Um, But if people are into it and leaned in and laughing, I mean, it's, it's, we have this great (laughs) indicator of like, if something's funny or not right away, if somebody's laughing, you know that you're doing something something right so that's uh that's actually kind of like my play test strategy is like play around with it solo make a nice prototype bring it to people who i want to show it to you know get some like initial feeling not necessarily feedback but feeling about it if we're like oh i think this can go to strangers i'll bring it out to strangers either kind of like in a either at an event itself or kind of like at packs, we'll go to the tabletop area and just play with people all night um, and break out a few prototypes that are in production um, and just feeling it out. And then it goes, I would say the steps go back to like, then we go back to writing and we uh, it's mostly me doing it, but I I get feedback from the other people I work with. Um, But I'll sit there and actually like based on all of that, uh dive deeper into the writing and the mechanics of it and really like again word games are kind of my forte um really creating words and cards and and combinations that um will have the most potential for just those those moments of like uh inside jokes laughter you know all those interactions that you're trying to create with a good party game
1: for sure and did you always intend to make like, self publish this game because I know your company's named after yeah. your initial game, so I wasn't sure if that was like intended or like how yeah. did that all come about? So,
0: initially, I tried to put the card before the horse a little bit, I think, and I really was like, I want to sell this game in Target and have somebody publish it. But, like, you know, after I, I brought it to a few events and kind of felt it out, you know, I, again, the initial idea of this was not like i'm going to create a product and sell the product it was really like oh, i made this fun thing and then it turns into like oh people will actually pay me money for this like i remember the first person that bought one it was just kind of like you know you're, i'm almost like apologizing <laughs> like i'm like i'm sorry you have to give me money but i uh, you know i made this thing like and and you get that kind of that like oh like i could do this myself like i don't necessarily you know need somebody to you know take a huge cut of the profits just to, you know, sell more of them. I could sell fewer of them, but actually be on the ground doing it. And that to me is like the actual fun part of it. Um, So we did explore, like I pitched this to a few people. Like I show, I actually showed this to people like who work at cards against humanity and like a few people like uh, surrounding that, that scene a little bit. And I mean, honestly, the, the biggest thing I think was that people couldn't get over like, the the dog mascot i think was something where they were kind of just like not like honestly they were just like confused about it um but i really just like doubled down on it i was like no i think this is like how i want to position this and if the only way to you know get this made is to do it myself uh i'll do it myself so we did a little kickstarter for the first edition uh printed it sold out of it and then like self published uh it basically beyond that um and uh that yes there were conversations in the beginning and even now like i have a bunch of games i'm working on where i'm like man like i wish i could partner with somebody and pitch this to somebody and there are some things i've been pitching around um just to get more products out there and kind of get more stuff in the pipeline but at the end of the day like I can do whatever I want if I do self-publish it. And as long as it's successful and it's, you know, we're doing well with it, there's, you know, obviously it's a ton more work, but there's just like way more reward to it. Um, I don't have to worry about anything about doing something that like some, I can't do because of contracts or whatever. Like I can make all the expansions I want um, and kind of go with the ebb and flow of things. I can stop production on something if it's, you know, without a huge, uh in you know without a huge like backlog of copies because i'm only making a few thousand at a time there's just a lot of advantages i know it's not for everybody i mean obviously i had to put a lot of uh or a good chunk of upfront cost and time to get this made and do that um and i donate a lot of my own time beyond my own job um to work on this stuff uh just thousands and thousands of unpaid hours but to me that's just like It's priceless. And part of it is, yes, we do make a little bit of money doing it, but that really isn't even as much the goal as to put things out there and make, you know, not to sound hoity-toity, but like really actually make art and put it out there and like create things that weren't there before. Um, I, I, that is kind of a motivation for me. Um, so yeah, we did, we did play around with that, but ultimately it just made more sense with it just being so niche and being so like, I really wanted to control the look of it and the packaging. And I was just afraid that people would, um, kind of like tone that way down, um, beyond what I would be comfortable with.
1: Well, that makes sense. I think that's great that you were able to take that on and it is, it's hard cause you're putting in all those extra hours that may or may not get paid.
0: Yes. But, hey, <laughs> may you got not a may product not. that you uh, care about. Yeah, I, I will say, lean towards may not, <laughs> but um, which I'm sure you hear is a very common thing. But uh, but yeah, it's, oh, to yes. me, it's just it's it's just the the thrill of it. Um, it's just the the art for art's sake in some ways, and knowing that like people have paid me money for something that came out of my head and didn't exist if I didn't make it. And like, I think about every weekend, like we occasionally will hear on social media or something like, oh, I just played this all night with my friends. It was so fun. Thank you for making this. Or we'll get a review on Amazon that says something like that. And that kind of stuff, like, that's why I love going to events. It's like getting that feedback in the moment from people and seeing people smile and laugh. It's like, that's what I want to leave in this world. And that really is... Uh, like the motivator for me is knowing that there's thousands of copies of these games out there and every weekend is probably somebody opening up the box and just having a great time. Um, and that, that actually alone is like worth it to me. Um, but yeah, if we made a little money, I'll, I'll take that too.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> just like a nice side bit. I, but no, I, I completely both. agree. Cause I'm someone who was like, you know, even if I don't have kids, like I have some of these games and they're going to yeah. outlive me hopefully knock on yeah. wood. Right. Yeah,
0: that's definitely like, I think about that, like the legacy of it and, you know, can, seeing if it could continue and just leaving like that, that, you know, stamp as small as it is on, on society in a way. And just knowing that, like, you know, I, I try to, that's, that's another reason why we curated some of the content is just like at any given moment, I want what I'm doing to be creating a positive impact and not like making things, making things worse. right? Um, so like that is a reason why I actively curate and listen to kind of like where things are in society and think about that. Um, because it is a big part of it. You don't want to make a game that like two years from now has a word that like, in it that you know is really just like uh is really just like uh, you can't say this anymore right so like i i, I think about like future proofing the game and things like that we don't want to put anything in there that makes people uncomfortable um in the not safe for grandma cards we do obviously push the boundary a little bit more um i wouldn't say the base game is like kid-friendly kid-friendly it's definitely less uh, dirty there's no swear words in it but it's really like pg-13 i mean it totally depends on how people talk and how people play the game that you can make it a little bit dirtier than you want but the not safer grandma cards allow us to be a, push the envelope a little bit more while assuming that the players are on board so like you open the box and it literally says warning these cards are dirtier you know dirtier than these cards like you know, before you open this, like know what you're getting into, and that allows us some room to. Okay, we can go down this road a little bit, but even then, there's still lines I won't cross. There's still words I would never put in a game, um, because at the end of the day, again, you just want to create a positive impact. You don't want anybody to be uncomfortable, and we think about that, you know, pretty. I mean, as a as a white male, like that is something I honestly do think about. Um, and I, I try to listen to, to feedback in that department, too. Because, again, humor is just such a subjective thing. It's in, it's impossible to get it right. Um, yeah. But yeah, we try.
1: <laughs> no, I think that's awesome because I've definitely had friends that, way back when Cards Against Humanity was like the mm-hmm. only one besides like an apples to apples that you could play. There was a few right. just like words that kind of triggered very bad memories yep. or like it, it wasn't funny. It yep. was just triggering. And so it's good to hear that you make sure to focus on that and get rid of words that may or may not cause discomfort in the players right. that are playing your game.
0: Right. And that's and to me, it's just like, there are some words that are just like inherently funny to me um and like everybody's just like you know different again different levels of humor but at the same time there are some words that are just like shocking or edgy for edgy's sake that don't really have like anything behind them and the humor of it is supposed to be from like oh i said this out loud isn't that crazy and i feel like we've just moved on from (laughs) this like i mean cars and humanity came out like 12 years ago for the first time so that's a massive difference in terms of like where we are societally and you know humor wise and just like what's okay and what's not um and don't let them fool you either because they've curated that game multiple times there's a lot of cards that are now like banned and aren't in other prints of the game because for that same reason um but uh, but at the same time like there are just things that are in games like that that i think people think it's just funny inherently to say something where it's just like first of all after you say it once it loses all of that and you lose all yeah. the shock value and secondly like i just think like again you don't want to create a situation where you just like accidentally unlocked a horrible memory for somebody or you you know when when you're really just trying to like have fun and laugh i mean why would you want to leave the table with like a sour taste in your mouth i would hate to know that my game like left somebody at the table worse off than when they started Uh, that's just like not the direction we're going in at all. Um, And again, like want to be clear, there are dirty words in the game. There are sex jokes. Like you can definitely get kind of crazy. We do, uh, you know, but the nature of the game is you can even further curate it. If you want to take out rules that you just don't want to do, like you can totally do that. Some people don't want to do charades. Like I don't want to do charades. I take them out of the game when I play it, but I put them in there because people, some people like to come out of their shell a little bit more. Um, But yeah, I, I think just the ultimate goal is, creating that space that's like I don't want to say it's like a safe space because it's not really you're you're still like allowing yourself to break the ice a little bit allowing yourself to come out of your cell and say things that you wouldn't normally say you know at a bank (laughs) but but like but still like we don't want it to be uh this experience that's just like you're scared of it or something like that like that's not the goal at all and I think that's just another thing that kind of separates us a little bit it's really just supposed to be silly and funny that's that's it And anything beyond that is, like, uh, it doesn't need to be in the game.
1: And how long do you think it took you for going, like, the initial inspiration for this game to the publication of it after your Kickstarter?
0: Um, So the original kind of, like, spark of insight uh, to make it actually came from, like, uh, this sounds stupid, but from, like, a dream I had in, like, 2015, I remember. Uh, And that was kind of, like, I was kind of toying with the idea of, like, oh, how do I make a game and everything? And, like, I just had a dream where I was playing some version of this game and it kind of created this like, Oh, like this is, this is it maybe. Um, and again, it's way different than what the game ended up being, but that was all the way back in 2015. Um, we spent a few, I spent a few years just very casually working on it, like not every day, like every month or bringing it out to friends or whatever. Um, and then we did a Kickstarter, uh, for the original version of it, which again had the DTA and was really different. Um, and we raised some money, but didn't quite get to the goal. Um, I'm glad that happened, happened because we took the time to regroup and a year or so later I relaunched the game with like a completely new style and the new branding and everything looked a lot better. Um, I was basically self teaching myself everything and doing all, just about all the design. Um, other than the logo, I do everything myself, um, cause I cannot draw. Uh, but I, I did pay somebody to do that. But other than that, everything about the packaging, the writing, everything is, is, is uh, from my head uh so i spent a lot of time working on that and then the kickstarter we ended up raising 10 grand uh in 2017 the first version of the game came out in 2018 and then we sold out of that in about a year did a second edition more prints and again changed some of the content and added some new content actually as well so the second edition has uh, slightly uh more stuff um and then we we're currently in the, in that print. Um, and then obviously shut down for a few years cause of COVID when parties were illegal, that wasn't really great for our business. Um, uh, so we're still in that print. Uh, we probably would have sold it by now if not for that, but, um, we're expecting to kind of do another one. Uh, I mean, I would say probably by the end of next year.
1: Oh, it's awesome to already be on the third print then. <laughs>
0: Yeah, basically, we're we're definitely uh, right now on Kickstarter. Um, you know, shameless plug. We do have an expansion uh, live right now for the next uh, week, uh, and it's called "Really Not Safe for Grandma." So it's about what it sounds like. It's a hundred more than a hundred new dirty cards that we couldn't fit into the first game. Um, it's uh, you know all R-rated stuff. Uh, again, same type of humor, but just a bunch of words and silly jokes that we just didn't have room for. Um, There's a ton of new rules. In fact, a couple of different types of cards. So there's questions where they're like fill in the blanks. And you have to, it actually makes it even more repeatable. There's special rules that trigger during different uh, areas and stuff. Um, so, uh, we also are doing promo cards that are like themed. Um, so, there's a lot of new content coming to the game. Uh, and we're always thinking about the next thing. Um, we're, you know, beyond that, I have a spreadsheet of like ideas and card lists and and word lists that we can play with. Um, and not 100% sure what the next version of Cheer Up will be, but we'll probably reprint the game. And uh, think about, like, uh, what, you know, the next part of it could be, because it's pretty popular when we do events, but, um, you know, we just hustle, we hustle a lot with them. And we, (laughs) like, uh, primarily do in-person sales uh, versus my other game, Swearman's is a little bit more uh friendly to digital and you know it's like i call it like a tiktok game because it really is a perfect game for just like you know showing on tiktok in 3 seconds and people understand it and get it um so this one with cheer up it really you do kind of need to experience it so we sell through them a little bit slower cuz we're only selling them at basically events
1: okay gotcha and then do you have like a favorite and a least favorite experience from this design journey of true
0: yes (laughs) um i always tell this story is the very first event we did uh it was boston festival of indie games uh in 20 this was probably 2015 or it was it it was in september 2015 maybe or the, the next year 2016 i think it might have been 2016 um and again, this was the old version of the game where the art wasn't as good. The cards didn't look as good. It was DTA. Uh, you know, the, the branding wasn't quite there yet. Um, I was really nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. I set up a little booth. I just got like a little banner with the logo on it. And I didn't have anything for sale. We were just playtesting the game and trying it out. Um, and a very first, and and just to give you a little background too, uh, this is like a local convention that at the time was... Um, at harvard uh now it's like at at the mit campus i think or actually sorry scratch that flip them around it used to be at mit now it's at the harvard campus Uh, but it's really like a college focused like design you know there's a lot of student designs and stuff like that but there are a lot of indie gamers that go Uh, this is the first event we ever did and ever showed the game uh at and the very first person that played it picks up the cards and i'm like trying to stumble through how to play and they go yeah this isn't for me and walked away <laughs> and i'll never forget just like the feeling of the pit in my stomach of just like oh i screwed up like this is not like i like the absolute imposter syndrome like anxiety washing over me just like oh i this was a mistake like let's just pack up go home i shouldn't be here i i don't deserve to be in this space basically and i literally was like 80% of the way to just like going home and then I just had, like, demo after demo that just, like... I, again, the game was a little bit different, but the the elements were there. And the, the demo after demo that day just, like, convinced me, like, oh, there is something here. And that person was just grumpy or just wasn't for them. Uh, and it was just so funny how, like, that one moment... It was the very first stranger that ever played this didn't like it. And that almost destroyed me. Um, and now, like, we just... I would say, like, I I don't even mean to say this as, like, a humble brag, but, like, I would say even at PAX East, like, 98% of people, like, walk away, even if they don't buy it, they walk away, like really enjoying the experience they had. Occasionally we'll have somebody do that same thing, but it's really just because like, oh, this isn't like the type of game for me and that's it. And they walk away and that's the end of story. Like now it just washes over us. But when I was first starting, that was the worst feeling in the world. And, uh, I almost stopped right then and there and I'm glad I didn't, but that's kind of like that, like, you know, push yourself and you know, that inspirational, like silly little tidbit that, uh makes me kind of think back at that moment where if I had a bad experience, I'm just like, oh, remember that? And like you just moved on. And it wasn't indicative of like anybody else's reaction. It's just their own personal experience with it.
1: Oh, for sure. I always say as a game designer, I'm a master of getting rejected. <laughs> so yeah,
0: you know yeah. something you, you have just to, learn to deal with. You do have to kind of have that that thicker skin, but again like the, with a, a game like these I make like the pressure is not high because I'm not having people sit down for 20 minutes and then having them get up and be like I hated that right and I feel like I wasted my time like we demo in three three or four seconds and you can tell right away if people are like into it or not so you do let that wash over you you just you have to just not think about it it's, it's just gonna uh, it will just eat you up about being like what did I do wrong what could I have done better like obviously we're all trying to do things better every time but you just focus on like 98% of the people are having a great time and a ton of those people are paying you money for something that you made. Like that's the thing that you really have to focus on. That keeps me going. For sure. Um, Yeah.
1: Then what was your favorite (laughs) experience?
0: Let's see. I would say Maybe the first time we did PAX East, um, that was like, it was 2019, I believe. Um, and that was our first like really big test. Like we do a lot of local conventions that are a few thousand people and, you know, we would kind of get bigger and bigger, but it was all very just like local. Um, PAX East, again, was just, I was familiar with the the brand, with the convention. I've been going there for years. We kind of like got in on a whim, like accidentally got a chance to, to do an exhibit, uh, an exhibit booth and I think that first like setup of like, Oh my God, we're here. Like this is, <laughs> this is kind of like almost the big leagues. Like, yes, there's conventions that are bigger than that, but like this is one of the biggest ones. Um, and because it was so local, it felt very like homey. And like, you know, we, we had that kind of moment of like, this is it guys. Like this is the test that if we can bring this game and the other things we're doing to, you know, 50,000 strangers and we walk away making money and they have a good time. Like this proves it. Um, and we that event was our I think our best ever at the time. Uh, and I walked away from that being like yep like, this is it. Like, this is how I want to position this. Like, this is definitely going to work. And I walked away with that with a lot more confidence in future games and just what I was doing in general, because, you know, now I go into PAX East, like last time and I'm just like, here we go. This is going to be our best event of all time. And I go in there like knowing that's going to happen just because we're so like, I'm so in tune with like what the experience is going to be. And I have that expectation. Um, and it was like, we, we go in there with that confidence and we can, we can kind of, like hone in on that really quickly it's a lot better of a feeling than being like are people gonna like this like i don't know now i make a new game yeah. and like i'm so excited to bring this in front of people because i'm pretty sure they're gonna have the reaction i'm i'm thinking they're gonna have
1: that's so amazing i feel like yeah that positivity definitely extends into your designs and mm-hmm. your company so that's awesome and yeah. for any designer do you have any like one piece of advice that you could give them that maybe um, you've learned through your process
0: Yeah, I would say start simple and don't be afraid to like, um, I mean, a lot of a lot of design advice I've heard is like your first game you ever make is not going to be good. Uh, Cheer Up is the first game I ever made. And I'm not going to pretend it's like the greatest game ever made. But at the same time, like, I think it's a pretty good effort. And the way we took a lot of time, like designing it and honing it in that, you know, not everybody has the luxury of that, but that helped us. Um, So it technically is the first game I ever made. But Uh, but you know, the iteration we're on now is not the first design, obviously. Um, but my, my thing I would say to people is to actually keep it simple. I wish it wasn't the first game I designed. And the reason why is because like, I like the game a lot, but a lot of the mistakes of it are kind of now with me where like the game is really big and heavy and that's a big issue with shipping and getting it into retailers and like, it's expensive for me to store it and it just takes up a lot of room. And if I go to an event, like I'm limited by the space in my car basically. Um, So if I were to do it again, I would probably make it a little bit smaller or make the expansion pack, like something you could add onto it rather than be built in. Um, You know, so uh, so uh, that's kind of one piece of advice is like, don't be afraid to start, like literally physically small, not like like idea small, but like actually physically small. Like make a game that fits in a deck box or a, or a, a tin, um, you know, something like that to to get the ball rolling. And you might find success with it, but you then you are benefited by the fact that like you can carry this in your pocket. You can carry hundreds of them in your car without a problem. Um, you can ship them for a couple dollars because now I'm getting screwed by like the shipping problems that are happening in the world um, because my game is you know, with, with a box is like almost three pounds. Um, so that, that does kind of make things difficult. Um, and my other kind of piece of advice would be, you know, even within the design to keep things simple too. I think a lot of the elements that we put into cheer up originally when it was kind of a more literal game or serious, I don't want to say serious, but it was still funny but like it was more like a literal like actually do this thing kind of game and not just the silliness of it was the point um there was a lot of like really stupid elements that we ended up taking out like it was almost turn-based and it was like really slow um and just don't be afraid to like pull things way back to the core element of the game like i think of uh you're probably familiar with the party game just one which is pretty popular oh yeah um, yeah so i think of that where like that game is basically Taboo with like a twist. I mean, that's like basically what it is. And the components are like stupidly simple. But this game has won like tons of awards and has sold millions of copies. Like, there's nothing wrong with a, a design that's like, it's like this, but with a twist. Or it's like this, but I fixed this part. Like, you can really start extremely simply mechanically and create a whole like new thing out of that. Cause then you get the advantage of people who would already be familiar with. The core of it and you don't have to over explain things like you know you know what taboo is or you know what cards against humanity is and it helps kind of give that initial push to get people to play the game but yeah that's the game i always go to where i'm just like uh uh like that that's such a stupidly simple design, and it's just <laughs> extremely popular. And it's just like, wow, that you really don't have to put all these elements in that you know y- it, you don't have to feel like it has to be this complicated masterpiece for it to be popular.
1: That's so funny because I was going to say as our parting question, I've been asking if you could take a game, maybe like Catan or Monopoly, yep. and you slap your name on it. What game would it be?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I, I am like impressed with the design of that. But my go to answer with with for that is actually probably what I would say is my go to like party game for a new group. Or if I was introing people to games, I would break this out and that would be monikers. Um, I think that's another example of a game that's basically X, but but Y. Um, it's basically it's basically kind of like a uh, taboo a little bit. So there's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a little bit older of a game.
1: Yeah, I've played it. They have like various different versions. It's called yeah. like Time's Up, Monikers. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's basically like, you know, you get a bunch of cards. It's pop culture, like taboo, basically. So you get a card that's like, okay, this is like, um, you know, <laughs> like uh, this is like dating me, but like Caesar Milan, like the dog whisperer or whatever. And that's like the word at the top. And then in the body of the card will be like, a bunch of like a description of like what that actually is and the brilliance of the design is you create a deck of cards by all curating, you know, a big uh, group of cards that you curate into one deck that you use for the entire game. So you become familiar with specific cards over the course of the game. Um, The first part of the game, the first round you have to, um, you can say whatever you want, except like the taboo word at the top. Uh, You got to get your teammates to guess what it is. So I can literally read the card all the way straight if I don't know what it is. Um, The second round, you're using the same cards, and then you can only say one word. So I might say like dog or something like that. And the memory and the knowledge of what people have from the past of the past rounds, you know, gives you the clues that you need to, um, to guess the the word. And then the third round, you have to charade silently all the cards. Uh, and this is really where it shines because a lot of charade games are, you know, blind charades where you're just like drawing a card and you have to charade it. The brilliance of monikers is that you already have the answer Because you've gone through the cards a bunch of times. So the charades are always terrible. And that's like what's funny because you can get the answer still off of like a horrible – somebody acting something out terribly. Um, And I I just think that design of like using the same deck of cards and being more and more intimately familiar with them as you play – even if you're starting off with a group of cards you don't even know anything about, if you I mean, you could do it by randomly drawing the cards. Um, but that piece of it is just like so brilliant because it it, it fixes what I don't love about like those kind of games where it's just like you could charade anything and like how is anybody going to guess what the heck it is but in this game you actually know the answer and that's really a smart design um there's a couple of games that are like this that are kind of knockoffs to this but i believe monikers was one of the original versions of this and the writing's really funny and the tone of it's really great and yeah like you mentioned there's a ton of different um expansion packs where i think at this point i have one of those like big boxes that's the size of like you know settlers of Catan that's full of like a thousand kinds from the game. Um, but I think that like it, it, you know, that's the game I'm like probably most jealous of because uh, it's so simple and uh, the writing is great. And um, I think the only detriment is that it is pop culture based, which changes Quite a bit. So, like, if Kim Kardashian is one of the cards, is she going to be relevant in five years, ten years? You know, if Donald Trump is one of the cards, is that going to be like still an interesting thing to talk about in five years, or one year, or thirty minutes? Like that, that stuff changes so quickly um, that if the game is the original monikers is like ten years old at this point. So if I open the box, like there's a lot of cards in there like oh yeah i forgot about that oh yeah that was like a viral video like who even remembers that like so there's just maybe that would be actually kind of a funny thing to go back in time a little bit but um that is kind of the detriment of making games that are pop culture bases you you are instantly dating your game and putting an expiration date on it and actually to circle back with cheer up like that was actually a huge goal of mine is like look I'm going to spend a lot of time selling these. Like I'm mostly going to sell them by hand. It's going to take me years to go through each print run, uh, which is fine. But that means I have to really future proof the game. So I purposely didn't include any Trump jokes. There's no, there's no like, there's no pop culture references at all. Um, There's some just like slang terms or whatever, but like, those those things last a lot longer but there's no pop culture jokes there's no people's names like i knew the game was going to take a while to sell and make and i just didn't want it to be that moment of like who is this like you know um not that there isn't a place for those kind of games but it's just like i knew that that was going to be part of the design is like i need this to be evergreen for if i play this game 10 years from now it has to still be just as funny and that was actually a huge um uh lesson i learned from monikers is like i don't know if this would be as fun playing this now because nobody knows what these jokes are basically
1: no i think that's really smart to consider that in your design because i ran into that issue with quite a few different games i'm like i don't even know who this is and then yep. you always have that question of like can i discard this and draw new ones so yep. then you go through the deck quicker and- exactly yeah, no, I think that's really great that you've considered it.
0: Yeah, it seems like a silly little party game, but I, I promise you there was just like so many thoughts and elements like that of just like trying to get it to be um, the best possible version of it.
1: Well, awesome. And so I guess we'll end it there with thank you for joining us. For this episode, a game design unboxed, inspiration to publication, episode 39, Cheer Up. And thanks again, Chris, for joining us. For anyone who's trying to find you on social media, where can you be reached?
0: Yeah, we're at Cheer Up Games, at Cheer Up Games on any social, including TikTok. We have a lot of fun over there, so definitely uh, give us a follow. Uh, CheerUpGames.com is our website, and our store is store.CheerUpGames.com. You can buy Cheer Up on Amazon or on our website. Um, Swearmans is our second game. Um, we sell those only right now uh in person or on our own website however we're working on a new print right now that should be out for this holiday that uh will be much more widely available in a couple of retail stores um if you're local to if you're local to boston north shore area we are we do sell both of those games in a couple of local research uh retail stores around around uh the eastern seaboard uh but yeah your best bet is to find us online um, and yeah, d- definitely give us a shout out. Uh, and um, we love hearing people that play our games. We love hearing stories from play from players that really just like drives me for sure. Um, and you can assume every person that sends you a note like that, there's probably 10 people that didn't, um, that did the same thing. So it's really motivating to get that kind of stuff so yeah definitely reach out to me I'm, I'm kind of an open book and I love connecting with people and networking um, and then like I said currently on Kickstarter right now is our really not safe for grandma expansion pack we are already funded we funded over the packs weekend basically um, so it's definitely gonna get made we have about a week left to get some stretch goals in there um, and you can bundle all of our games together so if you're new to us you can get the original game plus like 110 extra cards uh, which makes the cheer up game you'll get to be like 600 plus cards you can get add-ons for other games you get some merch and stuff like that um, so it's a great way to dive in and uh, help us get to some stretch goals um, you can just search kickstarter if really not safe for grandma or uh, you can go to all of our socials or website and there's links right there
1: Are you going to be putting it on Backerkit or something just because this episode will air after your Kickstarter is closed?
0: Got it. Uh, In that case, uh, you can still go to cheerupgames.com. There'll be a link to pre-order it. We'll probably just do direct pre-orders from our own website because we uh, just don't, we're we're just purposely doing a small campaign that doesn't really require like uh, some kind of pledge manager like that. Um, So yeah, right now, if you're listening to this, you can still pre-order it um, and go to cheerupgames.com and you'll find all the links there.
1: Awesome. And then I'm danielle reynolds if you're trying to find me on social media you can find me under token gamer and that's g-a-y-m-e-r uh that's for twitter and instagram and also chris just as a heads up for anyone listening i did really love swearments so
0: (laughs) thank you i would
1: also suggest checking that one out it's really cute it kind of lives in my car now for any time i go hit a brewery or something with my friends
0: if you ever want to have me back uh definitely could spend a whole other hour talking about that game and even the other games in the pipeline that we're working on so So, yeah, don't be afraid to hit me up again.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.